On today's episode of the Nifty Nick Show, I'm thrilled to have on Alex Atala, the CTO and co-founder of OpenSea. Anybody in the NFT space knows OpenSea is the leading NFT marketplace with over $325 million in volume in July and over $578 million only 10 days into August. The show is all about learning from those with skin in the game and the world of NFTs, and as usual, today's guest is no exception, so let's get started. If you're looking for some crypto, you just found the right spot. We wrap it up, one of a kind, NFT straight to the top. Now don't go trading based on comments, we provide in this show. It's not investment advice, but our picks do tend to blow up. Like a rocket, they say. Many people have compared it to people's every day. So if you're trying to figure out what's going on in this space, please do not worry, your boy Nifty Nick is hot on the case. Yeah. All right, we're back, and today I'm here with Alex Atala, the co-founder of OpenSea. Thanks for coming on the show, Alex. Thanks for inviting me, Nick. So uh, I thought, I mean, it would be useful to kick things off. I think uh, most of my listeners know what OpenSea is, but maybe just to set the context of uh, how you got involved in this space and the kind of uh, a short version of the founding story of OpenSea would probably be really useful um, to understand you know, when you got started and when you individually first uh, started getting interest in NFTs and how you got into crypto. Yeah, we got started in December of 2017. Uh, earlier on that year, my co-founder Devin and I started exploring the crypto space. We'd both gotten a little bit into crypto in prior years, but in 2017, there were a lot of ICOs going on. And we, we came in with the question, is, is there more here than just ICOs? Like, is, are the, is crypto more than just a growth hack for existing online communities? And we you know, took a little bit. We didn't really find anything for a while, but we noticed that there were a few projects coming up that were pretty unique. Decentraland, uh, CryptoPunks, and then in December, late November, CryptoKitties. They were unique because whole in, entirely new communities were forming around these digital goods that had rich media attached to them. And more importantly, people weren't just trying to flip them. There were, there were way more use cases that we observed. We saw communities form around actually engaging with the items, playing the game, building third-party experiences around the, the items that users own. And it was just fun. It was like a it was like rediscovering the web. So we went at it and we worked on OpenSea, which was the first platform for NFTs, first, mar first general marketplace. And it, the whole space has gone through many evolutions, but that's how it got started. NFTs you know, is having its moment right now in terms of really blowing up. Uh, you guys were at the forefront of it, but like, what was business like for those first, you know, through, well, actually, when were the first transactions actually happening on your platform? You you started in 2017. When did it open up for actual uh, usage for users? Well, we launched a beta uh, shortly after the you know, very end of December in 2017. Uh, and, and we launched it on mainnet Ethereum the very beginning of 2018. So we, we you know, spent a little bit of time putting together uh, a scaffold, just showing crypto kitties on sale, basically, and letting users buy and sell them. The initial version was pretty 
rough, but what we wanted to do was help solve uh, for the, the vacancy of a platform that would let people discover NFTs being created anywhere. And immediately we saw a couple you know, developers start working on new projects similar to CryptoKitties. There were a couple of clones, but there were also some new things like a Magic the Gathering style trading card game and uh, digital like virtual land projects and uh, software licenses just a few months later which would let you, oh, there, there was a project that was a basically a crypto trading bot and the creator wanted to keep the bot scarce because the more people who use the bot, the less alpha it gives you, the less you can make from the trading bot. So we created software licenses as NFTs and you had to buy one of these NFTs in order to use the bot. So there were really exciting new use cases for just software in general that just started popping up early. Not all of them worked well. Uh, gaming was the only one that got like blips of traction hikes. And there were a couple like uh, media collectibles like crypto celebrities, but it wasn't until you know, 2019 where we saw very serious utility driven NFTs like Ethereum name service. And uh, even though ENS, started early on their their official erc721 nfts were, were back to that date and then we saw virtual land projects get a lot more refined and then art got a lot more refined yeah i think through um yeah 2019 uh but 2020 we've seen uh just a lot of uh, broader demand for nfts and you all are clearly well positioned for that I actually have a technical question since you're the co-founder or chief technology officer, I think. What, what, are, what is this built in? Well, we, it, it's built in Python primarily in our backend where we, we, do, we have a couple smart contracts. One is our marketplace contract, which is written in Solidity, and our NFT contract when you make NFTs on OpenSea, also Solidity. And the Python backend is it, it gradually taking on more and more of the complexity. And uh, our front end, which is TypeScript and uh, React and, and Next.js, uh, less and less of the complexity of interacting with the blockchain. Uh, downstream, we envision the backend really figuring things out about you know, how is this blockchain different? What kind of interaction needs to be made? How do we encode that? Who do we talk to? What's the right node to connect to? And the front end needs to know less and less of that complexity. So um, we also, well, we're multi-cloud, but you know, we, 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 we interact pretty uh, tightly with decentralized file storage like IPFS and Arweave and we cache all of that data in our cloud so that users can access it really quickly. So, you know, you've been built heavily on Ethereum. Uh, as you mentioned, your marketplace contract as well as your NFT contract. I have seen that you all adopted, there has been some NFTs on Matic. I think I even received an airdrop from somebody on Matic through OpenSea. What blockchains are you looking at? Is, is Matic the primary one that you're thinking about right now? Are there additional ones that you're looking to? And also, uh, as a sort of associated question with that, 
what sort of constraints are you looking for when you look to some of these different blockchains? Like what makes them worthy of OpenSea's attention? Good question. We're prim we've been primarily looking at Polygon, which used to be called Matic. We also added support for Clayton in February, Polygon we soft launched in March. And we'll be adding support for a few more chains in the near future. The main criteria we look for, there's just two, adoption and technical potential. Uh, adoption is pretty important because adding a new chain, even if it looks a lot like Ethereum, involves a, sig you know, a significant number of backend resources to do properly. This is not as simple as just like Google indexing a new website. If, if CNN.com opens up a new section of its web page, Google doesn't have to index it in the next two minutes. It could take hours. Maybe it'll be quick because it's CNN, but it, but it might take hours. For, you know, if we add a new chain and it takes us hours to see the next block, we might as well not have added it. Like the time is actually really important. So it, uh, being really quick and consuming all of the data that's coming on a new chain, it, it takes a lot. So um, we've announced support for a few blockchains that are going to take a bit for us to add like to add our uh, full support for on our back end. But we really do like still believe that the world will be multi-chain, that a lot of cool use cases will only exist on certain chains due to just the network effect being stronger. So we, it's not pure adoption. We, we look at some like technical potential and how it differentiates from other chains. Um, and also just how easy it is for us to uh, perform transactions on behalf of users. So users don't have to pay gas. Yeah, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And there's a number of players uh, attempting to operate in this space, uh, but it's sort of like, what's the forcing function here? And and that makes me wonder, like, what was the main reason to go to Matic? Was it a lot of the complaints and a lot of the conversation around, you know, environmental stuff, uh, speed? They've been getting a ton of adoption, but I think, you know, if you all support one of these blockchains, it's a pretty major step. I don't. Do you know what percentage of NFT transactions OpenSea accounts for today? I don't. I would doubt that it's the majority, just because there are quite a few transfers and minting events that are not like direct clicks on OpenSea that have been happening. There are a lot of projects that mass mint to many, many wallets, the same NFT or different NFTs. And I think that's probably going to increase, but we've been, yeah, I, I would, I would we're, we're definitely the majority or the, the plurality of sale traffic. So it's probably like in the tens of percentages or something like that, potentially. I mean, you don't. I don't need to quote you on like whatever that number is, but my guess is it's some somewhere around that. Which only leads me to think like, well, it's a pretty big decision with some of these places. When you all there's there are other marketplaces. There's art marketplaces or the first that or the next that come to mind when I think of um, well, Rarible is one, and then there's uh, and then after that is really a lot of art marketplaces that would be the the remaining activity. 
uh, outside of like minting direct on websites, which is like kind of how a lot of these uh, collectibles are launching today. Uh, so, but as soon as that's off, they're all selling on OpenSea, and that's where all the second uh, uh, second market transaction is occurring. So it has to be some, you know, directly correlated to that to to, to some some degree. We don't need to get hung up on that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of just curious about that. So in terms of uh, some of the challenges that OpenSea is facing today, what, what are the greatest challenges that you all are focused on uh, solving? Well, one is a little bit of that problem that I just mentioned. In a multi-chain world, we, we need to be able to prioritize and figure out which transactions are most relevant to users because there's just so many of them now. And it's not the case that we need to index that we should index every single transaction immediately the second it happens. Uh, we're we're now past that point where you just can't. So we need to like we need to prioritize better, uh, be more efficient about that process. That's kind of our one of our bigger backend challenges. Uh, and on the other side of the spectrum, there's users. There are now tons of users flooding into the ecosystem who don't have crypto at all. And our support for credit cards could be a lot better. So adding support for like New York and Hawaii currently, you can't use a credit card on OpenSea. Um, figuring out how to improve the support for for more like new types of payments and for international users, I think is going to be pretty key to getting the next cohort of users on OpenSea. Um, we've been, for the last six months, working really hard to eliminate gas fees from OpenSea. And, and this means that users don't have to pay a fee to miners when they buy an item. It's like an extra fee that doesn't go to OpenSea, it doesn't go to the creator, it doesn't go to the seller, it goes to the blockchain. And right now, users pay for that on, with Ethereum, which is really suboptimal. It, it's something that it's also just a very high fee when the Ethereum network is overloaded. So what we want to do is pay that fee for our users. That's what we do on Matic Polygon. And and doing that for more chains at scale is another thing we're, we're working on hard. So in addition to you know some of the technical hurdles that exist in terms of resolving, as you just mentioned, there's also actual uh, other user experience challenges that I think still exist today. The most common uh, that stand out to me are uh, sort of the uh, fake bids, which uh, people have to do a lot of educating about. I had Gary Vaynerchuk on here, and he's, he was like, yo, I spent a ton of time in our Discord. I mean, it flies by. His Discord ended up being one of the largest Discords it, like it, as a whole. Uh, but he was the, he had his team constantly warning people about Kind of the the USDC point zero one type bids that people do, or they they yeah, so they pay three dollars versus three ETH. That's one of the issues, and the other issue that stands out to me from uh, which is actually less of an individual user. Well, it actually is uh, is some of the fraudulent copies of some of these projects that pop up was one of the issues that we see. Uh, I think the uh, Board Ape Kennel Club had it, and uh, literally every new one that I see launches, you really do need to double check that that is the right contract. Um, so I'm curious, like on that sort of front and, and sort of combating uh, straight up fraud, uh, is, is that 
like where does that fall in the in the priorities and are there any things that you're sort of planning around resolving some of those issues because some of it seems like you could probably resolve it pretty easily at least with the uh usdc bids yeah i'm not sure if you saw any of our changes for bids in the last week and a half mm, no. also for fraudulent collections but we've addressed both of those issues you know there's there's fraudsters will come up with workarounds like every few months to whatever we did a few months prior but now when you make a when you're accepting a bid we used to show you the dollar value of the bid which i guess people weren't reading now we show uh you know a clear indicator right above the button warning this the dollar value of this bid is one dollar thirty instead of whatever you think it is um just to help users with those indicators. We also got rid of like profile icons next to the bidders so that people can't like pretend, can't set their, their profile image to be the WEF symbol, which was a common source of confusion for people accepting a bid. There's just sometimes people, when people see money, they just, they click it. <laughs> yes. And, and getting people to slow down a bit uh, was, the goal then for fake collections that's that's going to be a battle that goes on for a while um we have been we have the longest running database of safe collections there's so many many collections that we haven't seen we've not been able to keep up but when a new collection gets really popular on OpenSea. um people will try to create similar looking collections and get buyers to click on that. Those collections don't have the same level of visibility. And they also have warnings when you when you buy anything from them. But the problem is that a lot of buyers will ignore the warnings and buy anyway. So we've in, introduced a new system to slow buyers down again by giving them two interstitial modals, one showing very clearly that OpenSea has not seen this collection. And here are the metrics that you should think about um when moving forward like is it similar to an existing one by name does it have any like attributes in common how many sales have happened on the collection how many owners does it have if it has no sales and no owners then it's probably not board ape yacht club or gary vaynerchuk's project so th those are sort of the uh some of the solutions we've been working on. So what are the projects that you're most excited about? Uh, another way of asking is like, how big of an NFT collection do you have? I have something like 300-ish NFTs. And I usually, when I see a project that looks different or interesting, you know, I something where I'm like, okay, I, I wanna own part of this project because I, I like what I like what they're doing or I like the uh, there's a potential that it blows up and um, and I'm seeing it now when it's just launching then I'll get one um, I really like projects with great communities and with charismatic art uh, I, I thought I, I was a big board ape yacht club fan when it came out um, I only got one sadly are you but still holding it dog still have Still have it, and, and I got a dog that pairs with it. And the dog, I think I just hit, I hit the jackpot with the dog. It's got like, it's a, a trippy dog, so it looks like a rainbow. 
Oh, nice. And that that just came with the ape. Yeah, I then, I have two two apes and two dogs. Nice. <laughs> yeah. There's and and another cool part of that project is it's a little bit like there, there's a there's a culture to it that's unique. Um, it went for like New Orleans speakeasy with the way they branded themselves, the website, the um, the, un the communities you unlock by owning an ape, the web, the experiences, the music, um, like a Disney movie, but also a speakeasy. It, it's like, it's incredibly unique. And there isn't any, there just isn't anything like it on the web. And there's a lot of charisma to each of the, the NFTs and they all have different rarities. They, they just executed correctly. That team spent three months working on it before launching. A lot of people are like, oh, I could do something in a weekend. I'm going to do it in a week. I'm going to make the art auto-generated so I don't have to think about it. You really miss out when you think like that. If you spend just, if you spend a good amount of time uh, working on a really unique experience with really great art and doing something that hasn't been done before or cultivating an energy that hasn't been done before, you, you can, like, there's really incredible opportunities ahead. You can create new internet communities that never existed before. There's a lot of collectible uh, creators that I'm speaking with. I have one that we're walking, we're documenting the founding of it. Uh, there's another one that I just spoke to uh, called Dream Loops. They had spent, you know, that team had spent years actually creating some of the uh, music that went into the NFTs that they created. I think they spent months in terms of some of the visual elements, uh, but they're discussing other things that are going to be launched in the near future. But yeah, I, I, I definitely come across the groups of individuals who end up just launching, you know, something super basic. And it's like, what, what, it, what is your contribution to this space? And like, why am I like, why am I uh, buying into this? I mean, there were six collectibles launched launched yesterday, at least it, it, six uh, significant launches that were all competing uh, for one another. So it's pretty crazy uh, observing the sheer volume that's occurring right now and the frank, frankly, unsustainability of the pace that we're currently operating at. At least, who knows? I mean, may, maybe it'll continue. I, I expect it's going to die down some, but uh, you know, you can't you can't predict the future. Only only see um, uh, what happens, but. I'm curious from your standpoint, in terms of OpenSea's positioning, you know, in, in the world of w where we're pushing, you know, decentralization and everything else, all of these marketplaces are essentially, they are intermediaries, OpenSea, Rarible, Nifty Gateway, uh, Foundation, all, all of them are uh, intermediaries in one way or another. Now, granted, what you all are taking in comparison to a traditional art gallery is a fraction of what those do. So it's it's clearly all about democratization and empowerment of the creators, regardless of, um, it, it's hard to argue that that's not occurring right now. But I'm sort of curious, you know, where do you, where do you think uh, you all operate when you think a year from now, two years from now? Is it more down the path? Is it, you know, sticking with the same uh, sort of strategy uh, and 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 play playbook obviously with new blockchains and more support and uh, reducing friction it within the marketplace is it giving people like um, their own sort of like Shopify type store direction which is you know uh, there's other players trying to be in that place but you know theoretically 
Amazon demonstrated their initial uh, back in the day. I feel like Barnes and Noble was essentially looked like a replica of Amazon and may have been powered by Amazon at that point in time because uh, they had a lot of the same API. So it felt like they were a white label version. Uh, or is it um, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of curious, like where you where you see yourselves uh, fitting in the ecosystem 12 months, 24 months now as this space has exploded and there's a lot more attention among artists. Where do you all fit? Yeah, really good question. We are, we're still at the very beginning of all of this. I would say we're mainly focused on the OpenSea.io experience. Um, so a little bit more on the Amazon route because the, the problem we're most concerned about is when the internet does this everywhere, like every community gets marketplaceified. Anytime there's a rapid exchange of information, there's an opportunity for an NFT. <laughs> and the, so the whole internet's going to get changed. The, it'll be on tons of blockchains and platforms. And what will be needed in that future is a, a single place online where you can go and see everything that's happening everywhere, no matter what chain it was made on or platform or what media is attached to it. And also see, just see what you own across all chains. So that's OpenSea's job. And we will allow people to like embed, we, we currently allow people to embed OpenSea, you can strip all the logo, like the logo, the nav bar away. Um, we have an SDK, an API, there's a lot you can do uh, to wrap your own brand around it. Um, but we're, But our main focus is on just building this one place for everything. That, that's awesome. And based on what you're saying, it sounds like, and I'm thinking back to your earlier blockchains, it makes me think like Tezos is one of the one, like uh, replacing mm -hmm. Hick to Nunk, uh, essentially, or giving another platform, the, the, because that's their only interface right now that you can see. What, I mean, they came out of nowhere, not technically out of nowhere, because they were around before, but uh, there was a lot of skepticism, but they have been growing traction. So is that one that you're considering? Oh, yes, definitely. And they're a little bit more complex than having support for an EVM-based chain. EVM meaning it looks like Ethereum. But so, yeah, we're, we're scoping it appropriately. There's definitely a good amount of traction, though. One last thought, you know, in terms of where you see the state of NFTs today, at what you're describing as a vision makes a ton of sense, uh, you know, trying to uh, have that central location to go and look from uh, look. <laughs> to, to access all of the uh, NFT information. What is something that you're excited about that like you think is going to change? Like, where do you think we're going to be in like one year from now? What should we like, what are you expecting out of this space? Or do you think it's going to look a lot similar to uh, where we're at today? It, the space changes so dramatically every couple of months. It almost looks unrecognizable every 12 months from the previous 12 months. So it's, it's hard to make predictions, but I would say that coming up, there's so much opportunity for gaming because they're like the top 10 games by revenue are mainly powered by in-game items. And now people know about NFTs and they know that an NFT version of an in-game item is more valuable than the in-game item. It's just a fact the implementation makes it ownable. So it is more valuable. The 
consequence of that is that games are going to port to NFTs. We'll see probably a new rise and, and in the, the NFT part of the space. Um, that's, and so we're, we're working a lot with game developers to help uh, with that future. Other verticals like music that haven't quite taken on the same trajectory as art, as digital art, will grow too. Uh, the, that's more uncertain because there are a lot of other issues with or other obstacles for music. Um, and then there's utilities like ticketing and, and domain names like Ethereum name service or unstoppable domains that just need better infrastructure and, and, and more adoption. And then it'll be way easier and more useful to own an NFT. Well, that sounds, yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of those, uh, concepts and we've discussed definitely the in-game uh, element of things. So uh, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on today. And yeah, we'll probably have to maybe in a year check back in and see how things are going. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode of the Nifty Nick podcast. And if you made it this far, make sure to subscribe at the nifty.com. Thanks again.